Welcome to episode 182 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we review the 2020 NRL Grand Final and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 182 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, the NRL made it. COVID-free. We did it. Yes, it did. It did. um, You know, (laughs) Rob DiCostello style, we we finished what we started. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was uh, it was like a it was like a, a cake. You know that you got to want to pose cakes. You know uh, from uh, from Master Chef. You know at the very last second, you know we're still, Could this be a washout? You know, have the floods come back? But no, the NRL finally were able to put it together. And uh, yeah, I've got to say it was a it was a very thrilling end to a grand final. It was a, a very talks about grand final. Um, there's always something to talk about after an <laughs> NRL Grand Final, it seems to be. Last year was the six again. This year, there's a few things. And uh, what was the year before that? I, I can't. I can't call. Oh, that was the. Uh, that was the. You know, the one arm cronk beating. Uh, oh, that's right. There's always a drama, isn't there? There was always a drama, you know. So, so, but you know, look, the NRL. I got to say, what are we going to do, Doctor T? Uh, you know, without the NRL, I know we've got the state of origin for the next three weeks, but after that, it's a. Uh, you know, it's obscurity for a while. Um, you know, it's kind of. Uh, it's kind of weird, like, you know, when you get to the business end of the season, you kind of think, finally, we're here. But then when it's finally over, you think, wow, like, I just can't wait for next season. (laughs) Well, Tish, you know, I'm not into conspiracy theories, but look, do you think it's a coincidence that just as the the footy seasons that have finished have drawn to a close, uh, all the state borders are starting to open up again, allowing people to go travelling again? I'm, look, I'm not mm. suggesting there's anything conspiratorial going on, but look, you're asking what are we going to be doing? Well, we're probably going to be traveling. <laughs> so <laughs> it's probably, we're probably going to go on holiday. I think we all need mm. one after what's happened this year. But look, uh, let's just launch right into it because there's so much to talk about. As we said, yes. rugby league, if nothing else, is, uh, is absolute fodder for the news cycle. There's always something going on. There's always some drama. And this grand final no doubt will will be talked about for ages to come for very mm. many different reasons so let's just launch into it and start talking about it so here we go with our six tackles and our first tackle is the grand final review so here we go <laughs> The Melbourne Storm took out the 2020 NRL Premiership 26-20 against the Penrith Panthers. Four tries each, five goals to Cam Smith, two of those penalty goals, uh, and obviously uh, Nathan Cleary, two out of three uh, goals as well. In fact, he only kicked two goals. Oh, no, no, sorry, he kicked two out of three. And you you might be wondering, but, but 
Dr. T, there's, there were four tries scored by the Panthers. How is that possible? Well, he did not attempt that last goal because he wanted to, they obviously wanted to rush. They, they kind of, um, you know, it was such a fast finish. Probably one of the fastest finishing kind mm. of uh, heart-in-your-mouth type uh, endings to a grand final that you can possibly get without, without it being golden point and without it being, you know, uh, even at the end. So it, it was very much the, uh, the heart-in-your-mouth kind of comeback, which wasn't to be. This is... Tish, we're going to talk about this, no doubt, as the almost champions, the almost yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, fairy tale, almost fairy tale. Because I was thinking that's what we should do. That we, like we, we might as well let's, you know? let's rip up our normal schedule and just talk. It's an almost fairy tale in the making. Let's just say, uh, yes. But, but look, no, no. Let's be fair. It's going to have to go through a series of. Uh, you know, a series of uh, judges, uh, judgments there, uh, you know, unlike the the uh, NRL Immortals where current players have been touted as being Immortals before we've even, before the ink has dried on the, the their mm. two contracts, let us say. Um, <laughs> we're already talking about certain people being Immortals, including one Captain Cameron Smith of the Melbourne Storm. Wow. Who are... Uh, I have to say, look, there's there's a lot that we can talk about. Let, let's just start with the basic. We're going to talk about, obviously, the Clive Churchill medal as well. So if we can just sort of not talk about uh, that right now. But, look, a crowd of 37,303, you were one of them, Tish, mm. and we are going to obviously unpack that a little bit later in terms of what your experience was because I do want to know what a COVID infected grand final or co- co- not COVID affected not infected sorry that's a very that's a very Freudian slip there COVID affected grand final uh, yes. what that would look like and what that means and so I want your perspective on that but let me just kick you off then with your thoughts on the game in general uh, and let me just get off right off the bat do you think the Storm deserve to win? <sighs> Ooh, uh, I think I would say like this. Um, that were probably the better team on the night, but it was the Panthers' season. Um, that's probably what I could say. So, uh, yes, I think the Storm, oh, look, they came second. They had a great season themselves. They, you know, they've been uh, they've been uh, sort of away from home in the Sunshine Coast uh, for the majority of the season. So they were one of these teams that... Uh, uh, that sort of had to travel. And it was interesting at the start of the year, like uh, well, at, at, during the COVID break, they were talking about, should we put an asterisk uh, next to the winners? And uh, <laughs> surprisingly, it's it's kind of uh, interesting how the Melbourne Storm, who are the kings of asterisks in the NRL records, um, you know, but, but, <laughs> might just have one for this one, but um, but they had a very good video. The NRL actually did have a very good video before the game of how um, you know, essentially, yeah, you could put an asterisk on it, but this is probably a tougher season than most. And I think the Storm are one of the teams that that certainly had a, a tough a tough go of it just because of that. So look, I think that I think I think they are deserving uh, winners. I think they were a, a very good team, and uh, yeah, just uh, I think I think mostly the disappointment is just basically on everything that happened with Penrith and, and a little bit about how Penrith, I think played them as played the game as well. So that's, that's my thing. So I'm going to say yes for the moment. What about yourself? Dr. T, are you, do you believe they deserve the victory and deserve the premiership? Uh, well, I would say no to both. Uh, obviously oh. the people will say, well, you know, on look, I've, 
look, I've thought about this a lot. I, I know, obviously, a lot of people will say, oh, that's salty storm haters talking about, you know, what could have been and, and just not giving the credit to the champion kind of experience that you've got in that team, which is definitely the case. But, and this is a but that we need to really, let's let's talk about the, the elephant in the room here. And the reality is that, Yes, you can say you should never give up a 22-0 lead in the first half of a grand final and expect to win, even though they ended up kind of winning that second half, 20-4. to But really, the elephant in the room is the terrible referee, and it wasn't just terrible referee. It was kind of quite biased, I would say. Now, before people start jumping up and down and saying, you know, deleting this podcast as you're listening to it, Please hear me out because, yes, I have to admit, like like an AA, I admit I am a Storm hater. I'm an Eels fan and I remember what they did to us in 2009 and how we got dudded a premiership, which would have been an almost fairy tale. And it wasn't. Mm. It was an almost fairy tale. And it was an almost fairy we tale. We were dudded but because been a of, fairy tale, yeah. we were dudded because of the cheating Melbourne Storm, uh, who were only found out the year later. You know, um, had it have they been found out earlier, we you know things would have been so different. So who knows what could have happened? But so I admit that yes, I have a, a bias against the Storm generally. However, I will absolutely give credit where it's due that at the end of the day, regardless of whether you get the calls going your way or not, you have to play what's in front of you. And that includes the refereeing performances. And that's what they did. And the Panthers did not really adjust to that. And I think that's Mm. a youth thing. That's absolutely a youth thing. And that's a a lack of experience thing. So totally get that and totally get why people say that that's the reason why the Storm won. Uh, I disagree, though. I think... I think that's one thing to say they, the Storm won because of their experience. But I have to say the majority of those 22 points in that first half, um, now I watched it with with people. We I had no skin in the game. No one that we were watching it with is a Storm fan or not, or a Panthers fan. Um, yeah. You know, and so we were kind of watching it all uh, – you know, independently wanting to see a good game and thinking that the Storm would probably win but because of their experience, but hoping to see a good Panthers effort, which is kind of what we saw. We saw a bit of that. We saw a bit of both. What I did see, though, was from the get-go, the most outrageously biased decisions against the Penrith Panthers that you could have possibly have witnessed in a grand final, uh, you know, of all time. I would say, and this is head-shaking kind of ridiculous decisions. And I'm not even talking about if you want to go through each try and say that first penalty try to Justin Olin was justified because, uh, you know, whoever the player was kicked uh, kicked at the Sorry, ball, mate. which ironically was the Billy Slater rule. It was introduced because of Billy Slater. I'm happy to I'm happy to concede that that mm-hmm. if you want to if you want to look at it as he was deliberately kicking the ball out of his hand, that's fair enough. Although if you look at how he was falling, how else was he going to land? Like he was kind of already stretching his leg out anyway. So look, regardless of that, let's let's concede that. Um, it wasn't even that. It was the decisions that led to that. It was the fact that uh, there were three head-high tackles that were not called at all for the Panthers. It was the fact that there was a penalty given to the Storm for a player pulling, I think it was Fanukan's leg in a tackle at one point as he was getting, you know, and I know, look, players do this all the time, and I absolutely mm. hate it. 
But this is the first time all year that I've seen a team receive a penalty. Penalty for it. Yeah, I agree. Where, I, I haven't seen that. And literally a minute later, the Storm were doing that exact same thing and the Panthers were not getting anything. So to me, it's – and this is what I said to you at the beginning. Tish, this all gets back to this uh, – on the, the the double-edged sword of, uh, of the – or the two-sided coin, I should say, of, you know – Peter Volandis and and his kind of, um, you know, his unilateral decisions that were made at the beginning of the season to change some things, change the game up, you know, the six again uh, rule, which definitely, here's the two sides of it. The, the positives are it allows uh, play to continue and progress and it's smoother to watch, much, much more entertaining a spectacle. The downside of it, which we've talked about all season, and I and I didn't want this to happen in the grand final, but it did, is that there are, you know, the, it allows too much uh, judgment, I guess, uh, too much um, decision making power to the referee to make quick calls. Uh, you know, if they think all of a sudden, okay, the, you know, that player's taken a little bit too long, six again, boom, six again, that's it, continue. And all of a sudden, the players, uh, the defending team's on the back foot, and you don't have much recourse to to kind of question. I know you've got captain's challenges, but it's very hard to. I've never seen a captain's challenge on a six again. Uh, it's unless I'm mistaken. I mean, if you've seen yeah. one, but it's it's almost like you're not allowed to challenge six agains, and it's uh, to me that's the key window of opportunity for the where you can see the the, the referees kind of are they are they biased or are they not because some are getting a lot more of these calls than others having said that um you know there are there are a whole bunch of other kind of uh decisions that were made that as you're watching the game and this is look primarily this i'm talking about the first half but it totally made that first half unwatchable because it just looked like everything was going the storm's way and uh and again i'm not talking about, I know in the media there's been a lot of red herrings about Phil Gould and the comments he made and how very Penrith biased the whole commentary team was. Honestly, I was not paying attention to that except on a few occasions when the people we were with were quiet and we heard what they were saying. Usually we're on, we're not, we didn't put them on mute, but we put them on quite low. And he made a comment at some point that which has gone all over the media about or over the internet about uh, the Penrith Panthers, even though they were like 20 nil down or whatever, 16 nil down at the time, that uh, he felt like they were still on top in terms of the way they were playing. And people were saying, this is ridiculous. Is he watching a different game? No, I was watching the same game. And I actually agree with him. If you were to not look at the scoreboard, you would think that Penrith were all over the storm in terms of their their ability to get into the, the, the danger zone, the red zone. Uh, obviously, they weren't able to convert the points. They were, they came close on a couple of occasions, and they had tries in against the run of play. If you talk, if you take out the penalty try, the intercept by Vunivalu, the absolute fluke try to Cameron Smith, which, which honestly I don't think should have been given, plus all the other decisions that went against the Panthers, um, it's a miracle they weren't down by forty nil to be honest, mm. because it was just absolutely ridiculous. But having said that, again, the flip side of this, so people don't think we're totally biased, is that the Panthers needed to take advantage of the opportunities that they did have, and yeah. they didn't quite do it. And that, to me, is 
yes, it is a, an explanation and the reason that they didn't win. But I think the, the, the real reason is that there was just too many biased decisions against them in the first half. Um, and by the way, the other thing was uh, people were saying, well, the, you don't give away that many errors. You don't make that many errors and expect to win. They only gave a few more errors away than the Storm. It wasn't like it was a complete uh, error-free performance by the Storm. It was errors by, on both directions. And a lot of those errors, to be honest, were by one or two players, but by the Panthers anyway, uh, Kikau being one of them. But uh, look, my rant is going to finish in a minute because I've, I've, I'm, uh, I've, I've, I've run out. Take a deep breath in, I, I need you. to take a deep breath and I'll, I'll hand it back to you. But I, I just have to say, look, not taking away, at the end of the day, apart from that amazing comeback at the end, even though they were gifted a ridiculous uh, try, I think by To'o as well, which a lot of people are saying, uh, you know, that shouldn't have been a try, and I kind of agree with that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh you can't you can't expect to be for it to be a a fair looking spectacle when when you start off the the first half with the absolutely ridiculously poor decisions and biased decisions against the Panthers as what I witnessed in that first half and and this is again if people are saying well you're just saying that as a salty eels fan I have to admit the storm in 2009 won that <laughs> won that grand final fair and square there's a difference between being frustrated at the way the Storm play and how good they are and the fact that they're a clinically good defensive side versus the fact that you're gifted some help from the referees, which is very clearly what happened. Um, having said that, it kind of evened up a bit in the second half. A lot of people are saying Sutton did everything to try and get the Panthers home. I disagree with that. I think there were still some ridiculously bad decisions in the second half, but it was nowhere near the level of bias that what we saw in the first half. So the elephant in the room is that this refereeing performance totally ruined the experience for, for me, I would say, and the people we were with. You know, when you start sort of shaking your head and thinking, are they trying to get Cam Smith to get that fairy tale farewell <laughs> or, or what's going on? Because it just looked totally ridiculous, but it was still a high quality game of football. I think we saw some really good passages of play. I was disappointed for the Panthers that they didn't quite get there in the end because they definitely came home and finished very, very fast. Um, but at the end of the day, refereeing, uh, you know, the lack of, uh, lack of uh, killer instinct when required to put the mm. to convert your field advantage to points in the first half and uh, and also the fact that the storm have cooler heads and, and experienced heads those are the three main reasons I think that we saw the storm win uh, it was you know at the end of the at the end of the day the top two teams battled it out in the grand final and we deserved a much closer much fairer kind of game than what we saw. At the end of the day, it was very close. It was one try, converted try in it. Uh, I would have loved to have seen this go to golden point because it almost deserved that kind of, It was that kind of a performance from both teams. It deserved, uh, you know, a bit extra for the fans this year. So I'm going to stop talking now and Tish, I'll let you finish <laughs> up what your thoughts were on the game uh, and, and all those things that I mentioned. Yeah, well, look, if I go back to the very start of the game, even before the start, um, when the pan- well, sorry, when the Storm ran out onto the field, right, uh, I've got to say, they looked pumped. It was awesome. And as the crowd booed louder, the, 
the the storm were feeding off it, and I I kind of had to tell people shh, like stop st- stop firing them up <laughs> because they kind of loved that energy. It was kind of it was kind of interesting. And then you know I didn't see that same sort of intensity from the Panthers when they came out. I I, I must say, um, I for me they seemed a little nervous. Then you know the kickoff uh, was great. It was one of the best first up. Uh, things that ever has ever happened in a grand final, basically a mistake off the kick off, um, because some some really tough um, defense from the Panthers, and I thought, wow, this is this is fantastic actually, because like they're on, like I thought they would be on, and I think yeah, I think the way they they just from the Panthers' point of view, they weren't really able to handle um, the decisions not going their way, um, whether the decisions are right and wrong, you know, look where, from where I was sitting, Doctor Taylor, I didn't have the I didn't have the best view of, of things at times, but, um, you know, watching watching most things on the big screen, um, and they would actually tell you what the penalty was. Um, but if they did, if, if the uh, ground staff themselves didn't know what the penalty was, they just, they'll just have penalty. And then I remember for this game, like in, in the in the earlier game, the NRLW game, uh, just about every decision you knew what the penalty was for. But in this game, it seemed like it was a little more technical. And I think Gerard Sutton is kind of maybe that's this is why he's ranked the number one referee. He, he seems to be uh, he gives away a lot of very technical type of penalties, and he'll make a lot of decisions that sometimes I feel like is like, uh, well, you know, um, you know, the team that made the error, the ball actually goes back to them because of some sort of technicality of somebody being in the wrong position. And I'm like, well, I understand that probably technically that team deserved the ball. But if you actually look at the actual incident and realize, well, hang on, no, it's the other team that actually made the mistake. And then so even though the technicality means the other team should get the ball, theoretically the team that actually made the mistake should actually get, uh, you know, should not have the ball. And you need to have a bit of discretion that way, right? So I think I think, I think, think he kind of does those type of little things there. And, uh, you know, um, there was uh, there was obviously you know the the tries and no tries came down to um, you know the the obstruction rule <laughs> and uh, what is an obstruction what is an obstruction and inside shoulder outside shoulders and things of that nature. Um, the problem is I, I don't know anybody who's got an inside shoulder or an outside shoulder. I thought people had left and right shoulders, so I don't un- quite understand how that. <laughs> um, you know, they're like, because the thing is, you got players on either shoulder able to make a tackle, right? So when they say, oh, the ball's been uh, cleared the outside shoulder, well, what about the, well, if it didn't clear the outside shoulder, what about the guy that was trying to tackle from the inside shoulder? What happens to that guy, you know? Like, like I think you could kind of, I think it's getting a bit too scientific for uh, rugby league. I don't think it needs to be as, as complicated <laughs> How complicated is that? So. I think you're right, and I think on that occasion, the the thing that struck me again as a layperson, you you know, we're not really lay people, but the people, yeah. some of the people I was with were just going, "What's what happened there?" And oh, I had to explain. Yes. Look, really, what they're looking for is was the tackler impeded by whatever happened. Basically, that's yep. broadly why you know. So now, if you're talking about a tackle, a tackler being impeded, and this the try is scored. 30 metres away from them on the sideline mm. where there was absolutely no chance that they could have got there, how could yep. you say they were impeded? 
this is what I mean. The, the, you're right. The technicality of, oh, okay, that person was touched and inside or outside shoulder really, to me, makes no difference. This is what we need. You know, PVL, if he's going to do something unilaterally, yeah. can we have a look at these things? Because this is where it needs to be simple. Did the tackle? Did the Storm tackler, in the case of the Panthers, no try? Did, yeah. he, did he actually get impeded? I look yes. at what happened and I think, well, he touched him. But it was his choice to tackle him. There was clearly mm. no way that that player – you clearly know that that player was a decoy runner. And all you had to do was step out of the way, not actually proactively tackle him. And to me, that just looks like milking – almost like milking a penalty. And and it, you know, and that's ended up what, what ended up happening. Yeah. No try was given because of a silly decision 20 metres away from the boy in the end. The try that was scored on the side by Josh Mansell was a no try when it should have been a try. Uh, and again, you're right, it all gets down to the technical interpretation, which we've got to get rid of. Like, we, are we turning into rugby union guys or, or we want to yeah. make this simple? Uh, and, and the simpler you get these things, the better it is for everyone. So, yep. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And look, I was... Um... To be honest, that corner where Tohos, uh, that was the corner that I was sitting at. Uh, so I didn't get a very good view of it. Um, so I didn't really quite see where the, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody was focusing on where the other guy was sort of kicking and not kicking sort of thing. So, um, but that was that was uh, yeah, that was kind of uh, a, a bit of a bit of a thing. I think also the other the issue that I have with the obstruction rule is that they have this thing about. Um, you know, the defensive decision made, you know, oh, the guy made a defensive decision and the guy wasn't impeded. And like, but you, you also got to realize like, you know, people make decisions all the time that are wrong, right? So you're, you're trying to play a bit of like, uh, you know, a bit of like mentalist here a little bit, trying to work out what the guy should or should not do in that situation. And, you know, sometimes a, a player is going to make a decision to tackle a bloke um, who they think has got the ball and it was just a bad decision. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily mean that the guy was impeded, <laughs> like that he was impeded to make it and tackle, or he's impeded on tackling the wrong guy. So I think, I think they just got to make it uh, simple. You know, they, they try to put all this terminology onto it. So look, I think that was kind of the one thing. But I think with the refereeing, I think it was a bit too technical for what it needs to be. I think um, ultimately, I just had a quick uh, stat here, Doctor T, and just remember that last year's grand final, they did not have the ruck infringement six against. So those would have been penalties last year. And the penalties was, um, you know, there was a total of 12 penalties in last year's game. So that's, yeah, seven and five, right? In this game, you had penalties seven and eight. So that is 15 uh, penalties. And then if you actually add the ruck infringements on that, there's an, an additional seven of that. So that's 22 penalties versus last year of um, 12 penalties. So it's, it's double, like it's almost double the amount of uh, penalties. And, um, you know, just because the ruck infringements aren't stoppages, I think I, I, I do believe they're actually a better, a better advantage. So, um, you know, so, so I, th- I, th- I think with the refereeing, I think it was, you know, I don't think it's what a grand final refereeing should be anyway. I think, I think there should be, I think there should be a little more leeway. I don't think you should pull up on these very, technical decisions because at the end of the day you want the best team to win right and the best team is should be the team that should be dominating the stats or dominating the play which I think the Panthers were but the problem with the Panthers and I've kind of seen we've kind of seen this out throughout the whole season they just don't they aren't a they're not a side that's very good at finishing off tries um that well and I think they really struggled to get their combinations um 
they didn't seem to, you know, a good indicator for a team that's playing well is that if they could get the ball out early to their wingers and centers. Um, and the Panthers just se- didn't seem to do that. Another good sign that a team is playing well is when their halves run the ball quite a lot in the first 20 minutes. You didn't see Jerome Luai or, um, uh, you know, Cleary. I think the whole first half, they did not have one running meter between them. So they they were just playing more of a passing kicking game, which which really didn't 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 make much sense to me. I think they they really kind of needed the spark out of their halves, um, and I think also like they were better on defense, and I don't think they played to their strengths as a defensive team. Um, I thought that their kicking game like lacked that sort of um, you know that there, there weren't too many early kicks that I kind of re- recall. I don't really recall them really trying to turn, move around the Melbourne, uh, you know, uh, forwards a little bit, like, you know, just sort of, um, you know, kick on tackle four, kick it deep, trying to get them ruck out. Because if you actually look at the Panthers, um, you know, defense, you know, it is their strength. And I think they really didn't really play that, play that to their strengths. And yeah, and look, but look, that's, that's from the Panthers point of view. I think, um, you know, second half, they came back thrillingly and, uh, I've got to say one technical thing that they did decide to do was the uh, was right at the last minute. You know, if if they had another, I, I kind of do believe if they had another 20, 30 seconds, they scored that try maybe with a minute to go. I think they would have got home because you know you had two players in the bin, um, and I think the store, I think the Panthers ran out of time. I think they left their 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 um their run a bit too late for the game, and I think they really uh, if they could have. Um, Played the way they, I, I, I mean, a lot of people say that, but I, I do believe it is the case. You know, they kind of, I think the, if they kind of were uh, a lot more um, sort of courageous with their attack in the first half, and I think they would have been able to capitalize a bit more. So I think that's what I'm going to say with that. I look at the Storm, they're clinical, you know, like, you know, they they were uh, they were charged up for this game. They, they sort of did what they needed to. They were sort of running around the field and, you know, that they, they looked like a team that was going to take their opportunities. Um, you know, and look, they did have probably have some decisions themselves that they felt went against them, but they just have that mental resilience. I think that's probably uh, that's probably the Craig Bellamy effect um, is how they're able to, you know, absorb all that pressure. And uh, you look at the Melbourne Storm that production line. You know, a lot of these players they come from you know they they sign players from other clubs that aren't doing that well, and they suddenly play well. Uh, for for the storm, and then they move away to other clubs, and then don't do as well either. So um, you know, nobody was talking about Josh Adekar, uh, how great he was until uh, until he moved to the storm. But when he was the Tigers, you know, he sort of was a great player too, but not at the level as what the storm can make them. So I think there is something about their system and and the way they work that um, that that does bode well. Um, yeah, look, and a very controversial team, but look. There you go. That is the grand final 2020, and uh, yeah, I think uh, you know the Panthers. It is it is almost a fairy tale. I mean, a lot of love goes out to the Panthers because it was their first in 17 years. You know, the father son combination. We talked about all the different anomalies. You know, they had the tragedy of the Alexander brothers. I think a year after they won their first grand final, there is a very the um, there's a very family sense to that club, and it's it is a it is a Sydney club, but with a with a hometown sort of feel to them. So um, very disappointing for all their fans. But look, what I do think is that they're there. You think about how young their squad is. Their uh, championship window doesn't end this season. I think 
they're going to retain most of their players for next season. They're going to be better and and, and uh, off next season. And I think they've just got to um, they've just got to build upon it. Um, but it will also be interesting because I know they're losing Trent Barrett as their attacking refer- uh, attacking coach. So that's also going to be interesting how that those dynamics work at the club. But I think I think they'll be back again next season, and maybe this starts a new pattern in the NRL where we've got the um, you know maybe last year's grand finals. Yeah, if they can make it a grand final next year, I think they will. I think they will be able to win based on the experience they've had this year. All right. Look, I think in general we we're saying that look, it's uh it it was a pretty exciting grand final overall. There were obviously mm-hmm. some issues. You know, with uh, with the performances of the referee and and some decisions, but you know, overall, I think to see the two best teams out there in the, in in the grand final, uh, you know, it was a very high quality game, and, and usually in the high quality games, as we've seen in State of Origin over the years, it it all comes down to you know the little things. The refereeing performances get that get amplified. The mistakes get amplified. Everything gets amplified, and. Uh, and look overall, um, yeah, it's it's one one for the uh, one for the youth of uh, of the Penrith Panthers, the young Penrith Panthers side, to put aside and and to use next year to be more resilient, to bounce back and to and to take that extra step. I think they've got it. They've they've got the capability to do it. They just need to remember what happened and uh, work towards a, a grand final next year where they don't repeat. The, the mistakes that they made in terms of you're right resilience is is the key it's about your ability to bounce back when uh things are are not happening for you and that includes with the refereeing decisions it's your ability to work out how how to get over the try line even though you've got a great defense in front of you uh how to keep coming back and and that's what the great teams do and that's what the storm is it's a great team at the moment craig bellamy has coached and he's got the system coaching system there that seems to work uh, as you said when players go to other systems they don't necessarily perform as well and that sort of shows uh you know but um all right so that's that for tackle number one let's move on to tackle number two and tish you were live at the ground so we thought we'd ca- capture some of your thoughts of what it was like being there live at ANZ Stadium for this uh, COVID-affected grand final. Uh, take us away. Tell us what your thoughts were about what went on, what kind of safety measures were in place or not in place, and uh, your general feel about what it was like being there at the ground. Okay, well, thanks, Dr. C. Well, look, I, I think um, – look, I've been to a f- my fair few grand finals, uh, you know, in the day, and then so this one – you know, I kind of uh, we kind of booked in because we thought the Panthers are going to get there. I've got somebody in my family who passionately supports the Panthers, and I uh, wanted to be there to to witness them win, and uh, it didn't work out for her. So, um, so that was that was a bit bit sad. But look, we we got there, and uh, first thing, you know, P one parking uh, is obviously right next door, and um, we thought, you know, this is going to be a reduced crowd, and it would uh, we would get parking there, so we didn't pre book. But we should have pre-booked because it was booked out, so we had to do the uh, walk of, um, you know, I wouldn't call it the walk of shame, probably the walk of being unorganised um, and park at P four, um, <laughs> which is which you know past the aquatic centre. I always wonder, you know, like why is P four and P one so close together? Like, wouldn't two and three? But I, I just yeah, sort of thinking, and so we're walking up, sort of the thing, and it was raining. Of course, it was very very bad weather, so. Um, and our seats were uh, unfortunately, Doctor T. Our seats were not 
um, were not in the shelter. They were in the rain, so we had our ponchos on. Oh, um, you got to love a poncho. <laughs> you got to love a poncho uh, at a That's rugby right. league game, don't you? Yeah, you do. You do. You, yeah. So we had we had ponchos on. Everything was like sort of getting really really wet. Um, but look, yeah, look with the COVID measures, um, there was uh, there was lines marked out at the at the queues. So that was that was very good from a COVID point of view, you know. So you know you had to stay apart. There wasn't really any social distancing in the bathrooms, uh, you know. And um, look, I don't want to <laughs> too much information there, Tish. Yeah, too much information there. I don't, I don't, and and to, I've got to say, very unclear signing of of where the men's and the women's were um, uh, as well. <laughs> I'm not. That, that's all I'll say with that. Uh, but look, one of the things that surprised me a little bit is that I did get there uh, around about when gates open. And what I really like about the grand final is that they do tend to have quite a lot of stuff um, that's happening outside the ground. You know, they'll have like, you know, a couple of like, um, you know, like places you can take photos. Uh, you know, you can sort of meet some of the stars and all that kind of stuff in previous years. But I think because of COVID, they had to get rid of all of that. So you didn't really have that carnival atmosphere in the background. So it kind of just felt like you were going to a game. And I, and I think that experience was at the start. Then we got our seats. The seats were great. There was, um, yeah, it was it was kind of uh, really really close. Uh, but as I said, it was we're getting quite wet, so it was it wasn't that great. Um, and then uh, you know you got the signage all the way around uh, the field. And I didn't realize this, but, you know, the signage that we see, the digital signage that they've put in, because I've never been there since they've had the digital signing. Um, uh, the interesting thing about, thing about that is that um, on the other side, it'll actually give you stats throughout the game. So you actually know when it's fifth tackle, you know when it's six again. It sort of You actually see that on the LED signage on the other side, like the side that you don't see on the, on the TV, like sort of the... Uh, the opposite side of sort of sort of thing, and the other thing is, uh, I don't know if they've done this new or whatever, but I I never, um, but they've actually got uh, LED lights on the goalposts. So when the when it goes over, it goes green. Um, I did see that. Like, it was very, yeah, uh, yeah high it tech. Was, it was very high tech, and and I kind of had to do a double take. I thought, is this a? Am I watching a, like a kids show or something? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it was. You know. It, it, it was, it was, yeah. So that, that was kind of, uh, yeah, it was kind of uh, interesting. And I thought, oh, they'd kind of done, done some things. And then, um, yeah, so the other thing that was interesting is is actually when you get the food. So because of COVID rules, and I think this is actually a positive, you know, I've, and Dr. T, you've probably experienced this as well, right? You know, you sort of get the chips and you get the pies and you get that and it's kind of a bit loose and you got to try to get back to your seat and, you know, in, you know, there's some sort of accident. Plus, you know, all the uh, drinks are usually, uh, you know, sort of on an open thing. They don't want people throwing cans and anything like that. So it's all sort of, you know, and then, you know, there's, there's a high chance of spilling something somewhere, right? But because of COVID safe, they've actually gone away with that. So when you get your chips, it comes in a box. Firstly, they give you a bag, like, a, like, a, like you know, an Uber Eats type bag. Oh, wow. And... And you could actually go and pick what you want, but everything is closed, so they don't overfill the chips. Um, they actually like cover the chips up inside the pl- inside the uh, paper paper holder. Do you do sweat. you see them putting it in there? So do you know that it's actually filled to the brim, or could they do a three quarter job? It is a three quarter job. I've oh no! Say. It's not all. It's not all the way to the top. It's not all the way to the top. It does seem bigger, so I kind of felt I, I was getting the same. But it's you know it's. You get where you get. It was, and I think it kept it warm. So I like that. And then, so, but then, you know, you sort of leave carrying everything. 
and then you, and then you're all good. And then obviously with the alcohol and the cokes and the, and all that sort of stuff, they're sticking with bottles um, and cans and everything. So. Uh, you know, they've gone away with the Slurpee type stuff. You know, the, the little things you get at McDonald's and everything. Yeah. They've gone away with all of that. So, because I, I think it was just because of COVID safety. So, that was good. Um, obviously, there was kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know. and then look, the, the other thing that was very disappointing is that, um, you know, for the retired players, they had no utes, unfortunately. Um, oh, I saw that. They had to walk. They had to walk. They didn't even do a lap around, um, you know, because oh. they, they are retiring players, you know. It's. Uh, you know, it's it's quite an effort sometimes to, to see them walking around. So, yeah, so that so, so they didn't do that. And um, for the first time ever, this is kind of good. They were honouring not just NRL players but NRLW players. Oh, that um, was good. Yeah, that's right. That, that is good. And then so one of the what players was uh, Ruan Sims, but I thought Ruan Sims has been retired for a few years, right? So um, maybe not I officially. Like, I don't think officially. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. So I think she's been kind of doing a dual role there. But uh, but look, regardless, even if she didn't, uh, that you know, this was the opportunity. It's the first time they've done it that way. So yeah. that's probably why yeah. they probably thought they'll get those who have retired from the NRLW, which has been around for three years anyway. So uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's uh, the thing. They just got the historically retired players as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm okay with that because it is the first year they're doing it, sort of thing. So, um, if they, if that's the way they've decided to go, I think it was fine. So, and and look, sometimes these retirements are a bit dubious because it's players going to Super League or Rugby Union, and they might come back in a year. So, so I always think about that as well. Um. Yeah. So look, moving on to so I think the other thing is because they couldn't have as much, uh, interaction. I think that uh, you know, uh, entertainment that they normally had, they kind of had to. Uh, you know, do some more interviews and more like just different things. Um, you know, I think they had a TikTok challenge on. Um, you know, you had to do like a bit of a dance when the camera went on you, and then you'd won five hundred bucks from TikTok, um, which was which was good. And then they had this uh, karaoke time, which mm. to be honest, which I thought was really great. So the camera would go on you, and you have to sing the line of like you know um, the Daryl Braithwaite song and stuff like this, and you know it actually got the crowd going so i really liked that part i thought that that was quite good you know um then um this 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 girl started singing on stage amy shark now i kind of did my research a little bit dr t i kind of did some uh, surveying out there i asked some teenagers if they knew who amy shark was and unfortunately nobody knew who amy shark was right and you really felt that when she was singing um that um, okay <laughs> like the fireworks were spectacular. The laser light show they were doing while she was singing was great because you know, every time there was a big sort of uh, you know guitar thing or something going on, it was great. And then they started doing an NXX in NXS song, and that, I think she had the guitarist from NXX. Oh, anyway, yeah. the f- and Andrew Ferris, so the uh, the the piano, the the keyboard player, one of the yeah, one of the the, the key songwriters of NXX. The key songwriters. Yeah. I actually thought that was pretty good. Like I, I mean, look again, watching it, it from awesome. the ground. That yeah. was uh, a, it was good, and she actually led that song pretty well. And and when he came on, I thought, oh, that's good. They got some yeah music royalty, Aussie music royalty. So that's pretty good. exactly. Well, actually, look, when that happened, the crowd went nuts, and then everybody was into her act. So I think that was a really smart move. Maybe um, they should have like, maybe they should have started with that. Is what you're thinking? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think so. I think that. I think if they started with that, yeah, they would have got her. Yeah, they would have got and everybody. Look, she had some great songs. She's a great singer and everything. And I thought that was fantastic. So once they had her, once they had that, I think everybody got into the entertainment and um, 
and like yeah, which was great. I mean, she tried to introduce the the drummer. No, nobody really cared, but the but no one no one ever cares when the singer introduces the rest of the. The, the band, band. Right? isn't that true? <laughs> that true. And the, usually, the bass drummer, the the bass guitarist, sorry, gets the uh, the lowest number of claps. The you know, like it's either the drummer or the bass guitarist. No one, no one yeah. knows. You know, it's the same with NXS. It was the same thing. No one really knows who the who the bass guitarist is. They keep forgetting. So there yeah. you go. Exactly, exactly. So look, I think that was uh, that that was great. And then um, look, obviously, uh, you know, you've seen uh, they they get the special the Black Hawk helicopter. Uh, in and that is always spectacular to see the helicopter come into Stadium Australia to deliver the game ball, um, which was fantastic. And you know, uh, you know, they had a, a Panthers legend and a Melbourne Sword legend sort of pick it up. But I always wonder, like, you know, the trophy they sort of just sort of carry out the trophy, um, and then they they sort of fly in the uh, the the ball. And I, and I kind of feel like shouldn't they do this the other way around a little bit, like? Like you know, they, they they spend all this money getting this RAF, uh, you know, helicopter to come down, and it really doesn't make sense. Like I, I do get the other part because the other part was nice that we did a a moment silence for um, Arthur Summons, mm. and I think it's his grandchildren that gave away the trophy. So that was really nice. That was nice. Yeah. Um, so so, but I thought they could have incorporated the helicopter into that rather than into the uh, into the ball. Because, to be honest, you use two balls anyway, like in the game. Like, there's two or three balls anyway. So, why is this ball getting oh, so much better treatment? <laughs> it's a symbolic than one. It's the it's one that's got the neon lights on it that light up when it goes over the goalposts. Isn't that the... Oh, look, Tish, Tish I, I've got to say, look, I know how... You know how we love doing... Uh, coming up with great ideas on, on this podcast. And I, I yes. have to say, this year has been... A particularly good year uh, of for our ideas, especially given uh, you know how, how the, the pan, it's pandemic affected. You know the boredom certainly gets to us. We come up with great ideas. I've got an idea of how we can elevate the mm. use of the army helicopters. So hear me out. Instead of one team kicking off, why don't we have a helicopter fly over and drop the ball in, and wherever it lands, the game starts. Wow, that is brilliant. What do you reckon? And then, and then you have to wait till the helicopter flies off. So then, yeah, you, so you, you not only have the spectacular kind of pinpoint precision of mm. a ball being thrown into the ground, but also you've got the you know you've got a you've got the wind factor of the helicopter. Mm. So, you know, you don't know where the ball's going to land, and then it could be blown sideways. Mm. I don't know, Tish. I mean, think about it, because I think this is where, where, how we could elevate our <laughs> the start of these uh, these grand finals. But it, again, <laughs> it's a symbolic thing. I mean, but look, I got to say, do you guys remember when was it? It must have been, oh, was it? It must have been the one that I went to in two thousand one, so many years ago, where the helicopter came in and who comes out but Jimmy Barnes. Wow, that's what that I think it was a Jimmy Barnes one with the NRL trophy or whatever it was. So, look, wow, yeah, I mean, this is what we need to do. Maybe we just need to bring. Oh, look, wouldn't it be great if if next year they do the same thing, but they bring Tina Turner out? Yes, wouldn't well, that, that was also awesome? that was also something interesting. They played lots of songs throughout the whole night, but they never played "Simply the Best" once. No, they did. So, they did once. I, okay, I heard not, it on the TV. I think it was probably towards the end. Uh, oh, actually, I think Melbourne it was at the end maybe. when Melbourne got the trophy. That was oh, the only okay. time I heard it. You're right. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, we didn't stay for that there. So, uh, <laughs> not surprising. <laughs> so, yeah, not surprising. So, yeah. And look, um, look, the other thing is, look, uh, just, just uh, yeah, uh, I suppose my final point is that, um, you know, look, I love Penrith supporters. You know, I'm in love with a Penrith supporter, but I love Penrith supporters and they're very passionate for the team, but they are also a very scary bunch when they feel the ref is not on their side. And um, so I think the Cairns thing backfired. There was a security guard that was hit by... Um, a can. Uh, oh, really? Good. Oh, that's not good. That's not good. And there was, um, I know there was some, uh, there were people around the ground sort of drinking uh, with their, uh, like drinking beer out of their shoes. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, this was happening. This was happening. And anytime something like that would happen, you'd have like, you know, everybody's got their phones out, um, you know, hashtagging like crazy. Um, <laughs> it was all over the internet, right? Corner. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, oh, wow, nobody's, uh, you know, social distancing here. It's just not happening, you know. So it was kind of, uh, yeah, there's a, yeah, so I think I think when you had, uh, you know, wait, look, there were some people that did go um, after the Pepper House to try as well, which I felt very sorry for, uh, thinking about what, exactly what happened, you know. They went, <laughs> because, like, you know, they, the game got really exciting straight after, you know. So, um yeah, so I think with the, with, the, with the audience, when you have a blowout in the first half, it does do something to the audience sometimes where they kind of feel like they have to make their own entertainment. So I think that's where some of this stuff started coming out of, you know. So, um, But amazingly, you know, this is kind of another amazing... It was raining the whole time up until the actual game and throughout the game, it felt like it didn't rain at all. And then it probably started raining just a little bit after the game had finished too. So it was kind of interesting how it kind of cleared up just for the just for the game. So, so that was kind of, kind of there as well. So look, um, you know, a lot of people, I think even the Melbourne Storm said it didn't really feel like a grand final. I think it did. I think, I think it was enough in there to, to feel like a grand final. Um, uh, yeah, look, uh, but I think that, yeah, I, the way they did the, uh, cause I think the, the idea is 40,000, which is half the capacity of the, of the field. I think the idea is that if you book, say two seats in, then they'll give you, you know, there'll be two seats and then you'll have two spare around you. So I think that was the idea. But I don't think they got that 100% right because that's why they only had 37,000. I, I was kind of hoping that it would, they would get more like a 38 to 39 sort of thing. But um, it felt like a, a decent crowd anyway. So that that part, I think they kind of got right. So look, COVID grand finals, uh, you know, hopefully this is the only one. Um <laughs> You know, we don't know how far these restrictions are going to go. Uh, but there are some benefits. And I think um, one of the things that COVID, we've learned from COVID is that it has forced uh, the NRL, it's forced a lot of people to innovate. Um, you know, the, and I think that's kind of might get a little lost. You know, there's you know, it's kind of times like this. You kind of see this in the world wars as well. You see, think about how much uh, innovation came out when there was like a global, you know, crisis as a war going on. Um, a similar sort of thing, you know, you've got this global pandemic at the moment and uh, there's a lot of, you know, smarter thinking about stuff and a lot of bipartisanship. And, and I think in the I think rugby league kind of needed that because there was a lot of fractions, uh, you know, friction amongst different people. I think it's kind of brought people together. And I think um, having that project to pull out, thinking about the game, how to make it more entertaining, how to get fans there, plastic cutouts, you know, they tried so many things this year to make it, it's entertaining, and I think overall, I think that's when the game shines the most is when they do try to make it more entertaining. So, uh, yeah. So look, I enjoyed it. I, I definitely, 
I've, you know, I, I do want to go to another grand final. It got me pumped to go. And in fact, we were talking about it in the car. We probably might buy tickets to the state of origin as well. Um, because, because we had a great time. So I think that's, that's also pretty good. So, um, I hope you enjoyed that, that there, Dr. T. Oh, absolutely beautiful. And look, yeah, look, thanks for the insight into, uh, how the NRL coped with a COVID affected grand final this year. looks like they did some things quite well and other things they probably should improve in the future. But look, uh, and I do think I really do think that helicopter uh, drop ball is uh, the way to go. But anyway. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> you, you, that could replace the coin toss. I think so. Like, what's the point of a coin toss? What better way to just decide the game than drop the ball and just see what see what happens? <laughs> you know, mm. why not? Look, let's move on to. Tackle. Well, I think Jared Sutton almost blew a penalty during the a coin toss because there was a uh, one of. Um, <laughs> Tarmel's uh, fingers was obstructing the uh, the tail, uh, but anyway. Oh, is he, did he touch him on his inside shoulder or his outside shoulder? We, we <laughs> ne- we'll never know. <laughs> but anyway, look. Uh, all right, let's move on to tackle number three. Here we go. All right, the Clive Churchill Medal. We thought we'd talk specifically about Ryan Pappenheisen, who is the winner of the 2020 Clive Churchill Medal uh, after a pretty good performance in the the Storms' 26 to 20 victory. And, uh, and yeah, look, uh, a couple of key things that he did. He basically scored, uh, it was a, a breakaway try in the second, the start of the second half, which basically extended, uh, the, the storm lead to 26 nil, which pretty much, you know, and almost ended all hope at that point for the Panthers, except for the fact that they then mounted a comeback, but look, um, and, and also there was, and I have to say that it's been noted that there was a very acrobatic, uh, you know, situation there at one point where Pappenheisen uh, jumped at, uh, I think it was almost going to be a 40-20, I think. And, oh, yes. And he uh, jumped outside the field of play. It was absolutely amazing. And he p- patted it back towards uh, his other player. Uh, unfortunately, when you look at the replay, <laughs> the ball actually hit the line which, <laughs> on, when it bounced back, which means it should have actually been called out. So as spectacular as it was, just like Josh Mansour's spectacular no-try, uh, acrobatic no-try, I think this is, again, I didn't mention it earlier, but this is another one of those examples where, you know, you can you didn't even need a replay to see it. It was pretty clear that it touched the line. It should have been called out, and uh, it's all over the internet if you guys want to look at slow motion replays of it, if you don't believe me. But, again, this is another example of, it's the little decisions where you just it, everything went the Panthers uh, against the Panthers and for the Storm. But having said that, um, what do you think about the choice of Ryan Pappenheisen? I mean, it, I I must admit I was a little shocked. I, yeah. I kind of didn't think he stood above head and shoulders above anyone else. In fact, I think I think if I, if you were to look at the, I actually thought Luai would have been in the running. I think he did a lot for, um, and, you know, more so than Cleary. I think Cleary is thought of as the kind of linchpin of this side and mm. of the Panthers side. But I actually think Luai did um, did more to hold them together and to do, you know, I, I don't know. That, that was just my opinion. There were others that had some spectacular play. Kikau had some spectacular play, but he was let down by his errors. So, obviously, that's not mm. – he probably wasn't going to be in the running for that reason. But, um, but yeah, and also Coruscant, I think, performed very well to kind of get them moving along. 
for the Storm, I think, you know, it's the usual people. You've got the Jesse Bromwich, um, you know, kind of situation. I think Munster was quite quiet. Uh, I thought um, Cam Smith was quite quiet as well. I, I, I don't think there were too many players that stood out for the Storm. And I guess that's why Pappenheisen, you know, you look at the the spectacular kind of, uh, you know, he may, he may have saved a try or two with some interesting tackles there in defence. But I think it was more of a team effort for the Storm, which is why I'm surprised that a Storm player won this one. Because, again, if you look at the play, the run of play, it was pretty much all Panthers in the first half, except for the points. And it was all Panthers in the second half of the second half. Um and it was really just the team defence of the Storm that stopped them from converting to tries in the first half. So i got to admit, my initial reaction was I'm a bit surprised. But then when I thought about it, I thought, well, who else would have got got this award in his place? And I kind of struggled to think about that. So I don't particularly mind. And I think, uh, you know, I think he's been – look, it's, always, it's also a recognition of a good – good season that he's had he's had a bit of a breakout season so well done for ryan pappenheisen uh you know in in one of the games one of those games where it could have gone to another player quite easily but it's just those little things that he did in attack and how dangerous he was that kind of uh set him above the rest tish what were your thoughts about this yeah well i think um i think it was really hard to pick this year because i think you're right there were you know, there were lots of great performances from Penrith. You know, the Panthers, other than the scoreline, kind of dominated the scoreline, uh, dominated a lot of the, the, the good stats. So you kind of felt that maybe a, um, you know, a non-winning play would get it, which would be the first time since what Bradley Clyde in, uh, when the Panthers actually won as well. So so that's kind of very interesting how, how that sort of played out. But look, I think I think Pappenhausen deserves it because ultimately his try, which was a solo effort try, you know, he nobody touched him, and he was able to just beat, um, you know, the Panthers players by speed. You know, he 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 scored that try, and that was, you know, at the end of the day, that that try was the the match winner. And I think um, I think when the uh, when it was like twenty, what twenty two nil or twenty nil, whatever it was, at halftime, you know, when he scored that try, you kind of felt, well, this is going to be too far now for the Panthers to get there, and. You know, in the end, it was so. So I think that was there. And uh, look, you know, you know, Pepinhausen is. I've got to say, look, uh, we kind of forget this, right? So he played his first NRL game on, um, you know, round four, twenty nineteen against the Bulldogs. So only last year did he actually play his very first NRL game. Um, and then he had to sit out a couple of games, and then he wasn't back. So this is only he's 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 played less than fifty games uh, in the in the top grade. And uh, look, unfortunately for myself, Pepinhausen played his junior football uh, for the Balmain Tigers in the SG Ball. Then you know he played for the West Tigers in the under twenties, and then uh, and then he signed with the Melbourne Storm. So um, you know, so that's uh, that's now Pepinhausen. We could add that to uh, you know to to Tedesco as well, and uh, we've had a, we've had a very good run. Uh, I know we've kind of did the same thing with Dewey, but he's come back now. But yeah, we've kind of uh, produced some great fullbacks, but none of them playing for our clubs, unfortunately. So uh, so that's that's a bit of a shame. But, but if there's any if there's any good news though, Tish, it's that he is a New South Wales player. That is so that is right. I, think, and, I believe uh, that's yeah, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, he is. He is, and uh, winning his uh, yeah. And look, uh, Peppenhausen. Uh, you know, he uh, the other the other exciting thing about uh, Arno, uh, though uh, I thought he might join Blake Austin in the uh, you know in the Portuguese team, but he's actually of Dutch descent, so uh, it would uh, it would be uh, probably it'd be great to see um, you know the the uh, the you know what's the Netherlands uh, rugby league team called again? The Netherlands Licorice. Um, I'm not sure, but you know, let's just call him the Flying Dutchman. The fly, the Flying Dutchman. Well, he is the Flying Dutchman, he is. isn't he? Really, he is. literally. So I think I think that would be a very good uh, name for him. But yeah, look, I think it'd be great. So look, well done to Ryan Peppenhausen. Kind of, kind of um, out of surprise, and I think we're kind of glad that um, that somebody else um, didn't get the award, as a lot of people predicted if Melbourne won. But um, but there you go, and I think yeah, uh, well deserving and a great and a great season. And to be honest, he probably. You know, along with probably uh, Gutherson, I think they've actually outplayed Tedesco uh, this year. I think Tedesco's had a good season, as always, but you kind of see seen him slipping away a little bit towards the finals, where you've seen Peppenhausen and Gutherson, and probably even um, well, well, he's uh, Allen for South Sydney, but he's a Queenslander. But you kind of seen these sort of fullbacks come out of nowhere, and even Dylan Edwards as well. I think Dylan Edwards has had a great season too. So kind of interesting with the fullbacks you know um last year's golden boot kind of been outplayed in his own position this year a little bit absolutely all right let's move on to tackle number four shall we here we go so grand final tv ratings and tish once again unfortunately the afl has beaten the nrl in the grand final tv war at least when it comes to free to air tv uh, with a national TV audience of 3.812 million and a peak audience of 4.283 million, watching Richmond defeat Geelong uh, in the AFL's first ever night grand final uh, at, at Brisbane. Uh, it was their highest uh, average audience since 2016 and was a 30% increase on last year's decider and obviously the night game would have played a major role in that as would the uh the fact that they were victoria was in lockdown so people have nowhere to go and again when you're looking at how you calculate uh the audience what happens is you know if everyone goes to a pub you know that's one tv that counts as one thing uh whereas uh, you know, and and that takes away a lot of people from their homes. Whereas in when you're in lockdown in a pandemic situation, obviously a lot more people will be at home at that time on a Saturday night. Um, so obviously that's going to inflate the scores a bit. I think that that's the only reason for the massive increase from last year. When you compare that to the NRL, though, the NRL had a, a national TV average of two point six, uh, sorry, nine six seven million, and a peak audience of three point four four two. So it's a it's a pretty big difference. It's a difference at, at its peak of about you know almost uh, I would say you know seven eight hundred, sorry, probably eight eight or nine hundred thousand, roughly eight hundred thousand. Um, but when you look at the NRL, the national average audience represented a 12% increase on last year's figure from uh, the Roosters-Canberra Grand Final, which was actually one of the smallest free-to-air audiences for an NRL Grand Final. So to me, it's like we've already reached kind of rock bottom in terms of free-to-air audiences for NRL Grand Finals. And even with that, this was a bit of an increase, a modest 12% increase on last year, but still nowhere near the AFL Grand Final. Uh, which is interesting because we know that when it comes to state of origin, 
you know, the State of Origin's coming up. I want to see what happens because in this situation, we've completely changed it up. State of Origin is now at the end of the season. I don't know what that will do to interest in in this. Perhaps uh, after people are over the grand final, they're going to be pumped up for the State of Origin. Uh, We're going to see the best players who have already been match-hardened in the final series um, turn up. So to me, that's the way I'm looking at it. I don't know if others will look at it in that way. And so... This could be an issue for us in terms of uh, our top dog status because usually our three State of Origin games uh, plus our grand final end up being four of the top five shows all year on TV and that usually includes the AFL grand final in the mix somewhere along the way. Um, and so it remains to be seen whether the uh, State of Origin can trump this uh, the AFL grand final TV audience. But as I said, I think a lot of the their uh, increase has to do with the lockdown situation, uh, which, as we speak, is now easing a little bit in Victoria. Um, but, but yeah, so, Tish, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. The other thing to think about is we're talking free-to-air audiences, and it doesn't really count, uh, I think, from my understanding, this doesn't count the pay TV audience, which has been uh, traditionally kind of the NRL's domain uh, in terms of numbers. So, It'd be interesting to see um, what what happens when we get some more details about the combined kind of audience uh, or at least the breakdown. But, yeah, it looks like this time the AFL is on top uh, in terms of the grand final, but which they usually are. I have to say there's on, on occasion, I think probably once or twice out of every 10 grand finals in the last few decades, the NRL has, uh, has had more popularity in, in the big game, but not so this year. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, Penrith versus uh, the Storm isn't exactly the type of team that, uh, the, the types of teams that would, you know, elicit a huge crowd uh, and a huge audience, TV audience as well. I did notice something else this, uh, this week that came out that um, looked at the, um, the TV audiences for the entire year, I think not including the finals. And Tish, I'd like to ask you a question. Out of all of the football codes, can you tell me which club do you think was the most watched on uh, television this year, on free-to-air and pay TV? Uh, the South Sydney Rabbitohs? Good guess. Good guess. I believe they were up there. I think they were in the top five. No, Tish, I have to tell you, with my blue and gold-coloured uh, glasses – it was the Parramatta Eels. Wow, that were on top. This and this is more than all the AFL teams, etc. So basically, what that stat was was that, um, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but um, basically, the Parramatta Eels were the club that had the most uh, when you sort of add up all the TV audiences in all the games that were played this year, and I guess average them out, they were on top and. Uh, it doesn't surprise me because I have often talked about the fact that when Parramatta team goes well, the NRL goes well generally, and and not only that, but there is a an absolute hidden sort of quiet minority or majority TV audience that is waiting to be unlocked, uh, you know, of Parramatta fans that are waiting to unleash on the NRL, and uh, all we need is a team that is worthy of. Uh, of, of the fans waking up from their hibernation, basically. And that, that's an example of that. So, yeah, Tish, um, what are your thoughts on the grand final ratings, first of all, and uh, and also 
do you think COVID has had a lot to do with it this year? Well, I think obviously COVID has had a lot to do with it because a lot, you know, usually typically when you would, um, as you said, go and watch it in a pub with the group of people, you are now watching it at home. And obviously since in New South Wales and in Queensland where rugby league is going to be a lot more popular, you know, people have been able to watch the games uh, from, you know, from, from different venue points and, you know, uh, less social distancing. So you'd have groups of people going to people's houses together to watch the game. Um, you know, sort of, uh, so that's something that happens quite a lot as well. So I think there's that. And I think also you've got to realize that Sunday nights, um, there is um, some like uh, viewing, uh, you know, Junior MasterChef, uh, some sort of, you know, uh, high, higher ratings television shows that normally are on a Sunday night that the NRL, that is traditionally not on that time service. Well, fans need to start making a decision, you know, do I watch this or do I watch that sort of thing? So I know they sort of change up the lineups a little bit for Sunday nights to, as I know, the NRL final will probably sort of diminish other shows' ratings. But it is interesting how that all happens. But I think, yeah, I think ultimately, look, not making that many excuses. I think this year the NRL has done a great job with its ratings and I think everything is on the improve. I think with free-to-air, we have seen a bit of a, a diminish over the last few years and this year I think we've turned it around and I think what's really exciting is that it's not just uh, TV ratings um, anymore that sort of dictates the the size of the audience um, you know the uh, there's many games this year I've watched Dr. T on the NRL app um, you know on different streaming platforms um, you know KO and obviously Foxtel and so forth so the thing, the, the thing is this is the reason why the NRL is, is such a great game because the reality is you can watch it on so many different platforms and, um, you know, it kind of kind of makes it a lot better. So I think that is also going to affect ratings down the track. So, look, I think well done to the NRL and, and let's see how this State of Origin uh, experiment will go uh, in, the next, in the next few weeks. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to tackle number five. Here we go. All right, we're going to quickly review the NRLW Grand Final, which was uh, won by an absolutely brilliant Brisbane Broncos against a spirited but a bit unlucky Mm. Sydney Roosters. And uh, this is a three-peat. Three years in a row that the Broncos have won. They've been Mm. the benchmark club for the NRLW. Uh, The winner of the Karen Murphy medal for best player on ground was Amber Hall, uh, and and obviously just overall, um, you know, they, they started off with a pretty strong 12-0 lead, the Broncos, um, and despite a bit of a comeback there by the Roosters, they ended up holding on, really never looked like losing, uh, and they were just stronger, one step ahead, one, one gear ahead of the Roosters. Ended up winning 20 points to 10. I think that was a fair reflection of... The way they dominated, I think the Roosters gave it a good go there at the end. But unfortunately for them not to be, and the Broncos yet again, uh, winning, uh, you know, I wouldn't say quite easily because it would have been a very strong effort for them. Uh, but, but yeah, again, sort of showing that uh, they, uh, they've they got what it takes. And, and there were some very interesting comments there by Ali Brigginshaw, um, <clears throat> who obviously... Uh, she kind of, uh, with about 15 minutes to go, scored the match-winning try, um, who basically said that, look, really the reason for the success of the Broncos over these last few years sort of has come out 
it's, it's been demonstrated more this year, given what's been happening with uh, the COVID, etc. And she talked about it being really the players having a very strong mentality for getting the victory for the their family and friends. Uh, you know, she her quote. I'll just quote you what she said: "Family isn't here." where they usually would be in the crowds. It's a big thing for these girls. I don't think people realise how much the Broncos have had to sacrifice this year. It was a big one for us this year. So I think, and that's end quote there, and I think that's some really good words to show that, look, this uh, this was a sweet victory for them. It, was, it wasn't just because it was their third one, but it was because of all the sacrifices that they've had to make this year with with their um, with their families, etc., in order to get this, you know, to get the the the, the uh, competition underway, and uh, and also, I guess the other thing is to have their grand final on the same day as a men's grand final on grand final day. You know, this is it's a new thing that's happened only recently, and I think it's such a great thing. It just shows that we're elevating the the, the women's game uh, to be equal with the men's game, and then it's been it's a showcase grand final event for both. Um, premiership deciders, uh, regardless of whether you know, like obviously the women's premiership is only four game uh, four weeks long, um, coinciding with the men's final series. But you know, it's a start, and it's a start of of a really great kind of tradition. Uh, and and uh, and yeah, so you were at the ground, Tish. You would have seen this. You were there from the beginning. What were your thoughts of the match? Yeah, well, look. Part of the reason why we wanted to get there so early because we didn't really want to miss this game. And uh, it was a very enjoyable game to watch. I know that the scoreline was, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, 2010 didn't seem that close. But, you know, the Roosters, they came back and there was quite a lot of skill um, from both teams. Um, probably the only thing that you probably don't see in the women's game as much as we've seen in the men's is, is probably the kicking game a little bit from both teams. It wasn't really there. But... Having said that, though, they played in much worse conditions than what the men did. Um, it was raining quite heavily during that game as well, so I kind of feel that maybe on a dry track we would have seen a different experience. Um, you know, the, the big thing that, you know, people were questioning me about, and I really didn't have an answer for them, is that, you know, why are the, the, the halves only 30 minutes long for the women, um, uh, for, the, for the NRLW? I, I, and, and that is something that... Um, you know, maybe they should go to thirty-five or to four, to you know, to the full forty. I feel like there is enough skill and talent there. Probably the only reason why they haven't done that is because of perhaps that the, um, you know, the the season is much shorter. Uh, you know, a lot of these players have other jobs and other commitments, so it is really hard for them to train and to to make this sort of, you know, to make this a full-time sort of living for them, which isn't quite there yet. I know the NRL is definitely talking about it, so. Yeah, but that would be obviously something good to see, and I think that the yeah, it it is it is great to watch, and um and I think that we yeah we just need to see a lot more of it, and I I desperately want to I think kind of talked about this as well with the people I was with, you know the teams that they've kind of selected, uh you know I think they kind of need to find uh they need to find a Western Sydney team, uh <laughs> they need a Western Sydney representation. You know, from from like you know either a Bulldogs, Panthers, Tigers, or uh, or Parramatta team uh, next year because um, it's a bit it's a bit too eastern suburbs for for us at the moment. I feel like uh, you know I know St George they kind of get the uh, well they're kind of a Wollongong team aren't they? I kind of feel like it's just um you, you know it's yeah they, they just need to represent a few more of the NRL places a little bit better um 
uh, and maybe maybe expand it out to maybe five or six teams next year. If uh, you know, I don't think that will diminish the talent pool uh, that much. You know, so yeah. But well done to the Broncos. Th- you know, three in a row and um, certainly playing a lot better than the men's. Um, and you could probably argue they'll probably beat the men's team uh, if they actually had to play them. So yeah. Yeah, and look, a lot of skills being shown as well. I think which you know people tend to forget that. Yes, that obviously athletically. The, the men have uh, you know probably have it over the women but in terms of skill I think it's 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 definitely not um, you know not something that you could say I mean in the past I guess you could have said well um, you know the men have more skills etc but I think this is not what I saw at all on on the day I think it's very clear that and and the toughness as well I think this I had to sort of do a double take on occasion I thought this is you know, this is not what you would expect. They're certainly challenging stereotypes here. They are certainly tough players, and some of the hits were monster hits. And we're talking about, uh, you know, um, you know, a, a game that really, at the top level in the female version of the game, has only really been around for less than a decade. And yet we've got really high quality. It was such a high quality game to watch and really entertaining. Um yeah, I kind of wish that it would go for the the eighty minutes that we see in the men's game, just because you just want to see more of it. Um, and I mm. think they're capable of doing it, but I think maybe over time some decisions will be made to to kind of align the sports a little bit more uh, in terms of the spectacle, etc. But I think uh, such a good performance. And look, congratulations to the Broncos. You know, the men's team dead last, and the women's team three wins in a row. I mean. You know, who better represents the success of the Brisbane Broncos of the years gone by than the NRL women's uh, team in the Brisbane Broncos? Well done. And, uh, yeah, again, I agree with you what you said about we need other teams as well. We need to expand this competition because it is successful uh, and we need it to stand on its own two feet as well as a separate competition. So let's expand and see how we go. And I think Western Sydney is the right way to go. You're going to have lots of people in Western Sydney that support the game a lot of girls out there who uh you know you know you'll notice as well that there are a lot of girls from islander nations as well that are Mm -hmm. represented in these teams and and this is reflective of what's happening in the men's game as well this is something that you're going to see in the west of sydney uh in terms of demographic makeup so why not take advantage of that you know start them young start getting uh, the young girls out there interested in playing this game as opposed to other games and see how we go. And I think re- make a concerted effort to um, to build on that following. So well done to the Broncos yet again for another great performance. And three in a row, well done. Let's see if I can make it four in a row next year. That will be absolutely amazing. Um, all right. And final tackle. Here we go. Six tackle. All right. So... Even though we're still a week and a bit away, we thought we would do a State of Origin Game 1 pre-preview uh, where we would talk about some of the, uh, the the squads that have been announced and see what our thoughts are. Um, Tish, I'm going to run through the bro- uh, the Blues lineup and and I'll uh, if I can ask you to look at the Maroons as well and we'll have a quick chat about what we think. So... The squads have been kind of finalised, I believe, even though the teams have not yet been. So uh, the Blues have quite a big squad because obviously they've had quite a few players from the uh, grand final winning teams as well join. So here we go. Uh, We've got Josh Adokar from the Storm, Nathan Brown from the Eels, Reagan Campbell-Gillard from the Eels, 
Nathan Cleary from the Panthers, Damian Cook from the Rabbitohs, Boyd Corner from the Roosters, Nick Cottridge from the Raiders, Angus Crichton from the Roosters, Stephen Crichton from the Panthers, Daryl Finucane from the Storm, Tyson Frizzell from the Dragons, Clint Gutherson from the Eels, Payne Haas from the Broncos, Luke Keary from the Roosters, Zach Lomax from the Dragons, Jerome Luai from the Panthers, Cameron McGuinness from the Dragons, Cameron Murray from the Rabbitohs, Ryan Pappenheisen from the Storm, Junior Polo from the Eels, Daniel Saifiti from the Knights, James Tedesco from the Roosters, Jake Trebojevic from the Seagulls, Daniel Tupu from the Roosters, Cody Walker from the Rabbitohs, Jack Whiten from the Raiders, and Isa Yo from the Panthers. A very, very strong lineup there for the Blues, uh, whichever way they go. It's going to be hard to whittle it down to 17 mm. only. Uh, Tish, over to you to read out the Maroon squad. All right, so the Queensland Remo- uh, Maroons this year, Corey Allen, South City Rabbitohs, Jai Arrow, Titans, AJ Brinson, Titans, Kurt Capewell, uh, Panthers, Patrick Carrigan from the Brisbane Broncos, uh, DCE, Dale Cherry Evans, Manly, uh, Winger Seagulls, he's probably the captain, uh, Xavier Coates, Brisbane Broncos, Lindsay Collins from the Sydney Roosters, Tino Fasilo Malawate from the Melbourne Storm, um, Moita Fodawaka from the Gold Coast Titans, uh, Jake Friend, Daniel Gagai, oh, sorry, Dane Gagai from the Rabbitohs, uh, Harry Grant uh, from the West Tigers at Slash Melbourne, Colin Hess from um, uh, the Cowboys, Valentine Holmes from the Cowboys, Heimel Hunt from Newcastle Knights, Ben Hunt from the uh, Dragons, Felici Kafusi uh, from the Melbourne Storm, Josh Kerr from St. George Illawarra Dragons, Brenko Lee from the Melbourne Storm, Edric Lee from the Newcastle Knights, Dunamis Luai from the Canberra Raiders, uh, Cameron Munster from the Melbourne Storm, Josh Papale from the Canberra Raiders, Philip uh, Sami from the Titans, Jaden Sewer from the Rabbitohs, and Christian Welsh from the Melbourne Storm. Well, so. there you go. Look, I look on paper. I think the the key players that were, if I was, uh, you know, when we are Blues fans, if I was to look at mm. who are the danger players in the Maroons, I think you're looking at. You know, Daily Cherry Evans, don't discount him, even though Manly didn't do well this year. I think he has still a lot to offer in uh, at this level. I think Dane Gagai as well, he is an unknown quantity sometimes. He, uh, he is consistent at this level, but sometimes mm. I think people forget how, how good he is at this level and how inspirational he is. Look, Valentine Holmes returning to the fold as well will be very interesting uh, to yeah. see how he performs. Uh, and and Josh Papali, I think, as well. And, and look, I would n- normally say Cameron Munster, but I think I don't think he has impressed me that much this year as what he did last mm-hmm. year. But again, he's got another premiership under his belt and, uh, and you know, a, a, another big kind of game experience. And this is what's important at this level. But when you look at the Blues lineup, Tish, I mean, you know, all of the key kind of, uh, uh, you know, young up-and-coming players have all been pretty much coming from the Blues. We've got, obviously, Pappenheisen just off uh, a super stellar year capped off by the Clive Churchill medal. You've got players like, you know, Luai and Cleary are going to be there from the Panthers. Addo Carr has been killing it at the Storm. He'll be there. Jack Whiten, Dalian Player of the Year, he'll be there. You know, how could you go wrong? You know, James Tedesco... 
it's just a star-studded lineup in a way for the Blues uh, of players who have been there and done it before. Clint Gutherson, the Eels' best. You know, you could go through a list of all the, you know, the best players of each team throughout the year, and they're pretty much all here in the Blues lineup. And when you look at the Maroons, you've got some very good players there with a lot of experience, but remembering that a lot of the Queensland teams that are represented perform very, very poorly this year. Tish, you would think that this would make the Blues red-hot favourites, but as we all know, in state of origin, (laughs) that means nothing because Mm. you're going to have some really, you know, it is about that Queensland spirit and it is about the fact that when the time comes, it's not about ego. It's about fighting for your state, fighting for about your brothers around you and, and playing together as a team. And this is what Queensland do consistently a lot better than the blues have done over the years. Um, And this is a perennial question this year. Will a star-studded lineup with informed players who also have a lot of experience overcome a Queensland Maroons team with who on paper don't look like they're anywhere near as experienced as a Blues squad? They're nowhere near in uh, as informed as the Blues are, but they do have a couple of players here and there that have been there and done that, and that can, uh, as long as they've got a solid kind of you know defensive outlook. And and a strong kind of Queensland, strong dose of Queensland spirit. You cannot discount these Queensland Maroons. So I'm I'm going to hesitate to say that I'm going to support the Blues for a whitewash this year. But I could be, I could be wrong because this is a danger sign uh, when yes. when we've got this much confidence as Blues supporters. What do you think, Tish? Yeah, look, I am very wary of of that, and you know. You sort of, when you actually break down the Queensland team, look, I know they don't have as many options as what we think um, they do have, but from what they do, from what they can form, you know, they've they can produce a very good spine, and they've got players that have done it in the past as well, um, and they've got players in there that that have that experience as well. So I think there's there is definitely signs there, and I think. Um, you know, it's interesting when you when you hear a a, a new sort of uh, you know blues player getting um, you know uh, sort of selected, they'll say things that they're very grateful for the opportunity, and you know they're so excited to play for Queensland, and it's it's just a thrill and a and a buzz. And then, but if you talk to a Maroons um, sort of debutante, they will go more of the oh, you know, it's just an honour to play for Queensland. You know, it's um, you know, it's it's a privilege sort of thing. So you could straight away see that there is a different sort of vibe between the way uh, the two teams take uh, take the state of origin on, and I think ultimately, sort of the more the the honour you know approach for Queensland works really well for them because you know it's not just like that's why so many of their players don't sort of perform on their debut because they don't necessarily see it as something exciting. They see it as something that is just um, you know, it's an honour to do. It's something that they will never get that many opportunities to do, so they're going to run with it as as far as they can. Whereas I think sometimes um, New South Wales can get a bit of a, <laughs> bit, a bit erratic uh, with some of their debutants, and I think we kind of see that. So, but I think Brad Filler is doing a great job with the way he's, and not just Brad Filler, also the staff around Brad Filler, the selectors, 
the whole infrastructure of New South Wales, headed up by Barry Filler. They seem to uh, get a great understanding of how not only can we win the series, but how we can also build upon the future. And I think you've got quite a, you know, you've got a, kind of got a good mix of experience as well as sort of some older players getting a, you know, an opportunity finally. And then you've also got a few young guns that, you know, may or may not play, may have a bench role or something like that. But overall, just being a part of something for New South Wales will provide them, you know, provide Fittler with options in later years, you know, as, as sort of, you know, players sort of move on and everything. So I think I think the planning that New South Wales are putting into this series is going to be great. I don't think it's going to be a whitewash. I think it is going to be closer than what people think. Um, the one little thing that I remember that Paul Harrigan talked about, which I think is a bit uh, relevant here, is that, um, you know, combinations is, is a very key part of, um, you know, state of origin because you normally don't play. This is not your club team. You know, you sort of don't really get that many games uh, with each other. So um, typically the team that sort of ends up winning these matches, the ones that sort of have, a, you know, a c- concentration of players from certain clubs that sort of know each other's game and have that uh, instinctual sort of approach. And I think I think New South Wales have actually got that this season. There's a lot of Panthers and Roosters play that, players that play well with each other and, and, and know each other uh, as well. Whereas I think with the uh, Maroons, if you kind of look at their squad uh, yes, they do have pockets of different players, but their spine is going to be from four different clubs, uh, for example, which I think is not going to be the best sort of option for them. Um, yeah, I think New South Wales might actually have the exact same situation. But, you know, Damien Cook and Nathan Cleary have played enough footy with each other, you know, um, to sort of be a combination now as well. Uh, and then, so look, if Luai gets picked over, say, Akiri, Again, you've got another combination that know each other's game inside out. So, you know, there there is an opportunity for New South Wales to pick a team that, that sort of know each other's games a little bit better. Whereas I think with the Queensland Maroons, their spine is going to have to be, you know, Munster, Grant, uh, or, you know, Friend, which is a different club altogether. Um, you know, fullback Corey Allen, uh, you know, South Sydney or AJ Brinson Titans, you know, to, again, another team. And DCU Manly, like he's the only man player in the whole squad. So, you know, they're, they're going to struggle to find combinations uh, in their team. And I think that might uh, – I don't know how that will play out in the whole series. So, it's, uh, you know, not that far away. It's, uh, it's getting excited. And I'm sure we'll talk more about it next week. All right. Well, I think it's time to wrap it up because we've had an epic, epic yes. podcast reviewing an epic grand final with a lot to talk about, mm. and uh, no doubt next week we'll we'll get into the uh, Blues and Maroons uh, State of Origin Game One preview in more in depth. That will be the focus of our podcast next week. But look, th- that's it for our review of the NRL Grand Final uh, this week. And, and this year, a really epic season. Uh, we made it. We did it. We overcame COVID, uh, you know. So take that, Donald Trump and everyone else who thinks that they can overcome COVID. We, we did it better. And we did yeah. it first. And we were – I think I think we can be proud as a, as a sport that we uh, we did it the right way. We had no, uh, no negative or adverse effects uh, or concerns or issues after we came back from lockdown 
and uh, a successful season was had. So Peter Volandis and team, Andrew Abdo and others, well done for doing what you've done. And, and a special shout-out to Project Apollo and uh, mm. uh, the um, – is it Project Apollo? That's right, yeah, Project Apollo yeah, and yeah. the – the uh, Wayne Pierce in particular for coordinating all this and, and getting us back on the field. Uh, I thought you talked about the NASA space station. There. <laughs> that's okay. right. I, I thought so as well. I was going to say <laughs> that. And a special shout out to the Mars rover, Land Rover. And um, but yeah. look, uh, well and to done, Elon Musk. Out and there Elon well. Musk, of course. You, everyone's got a shout out to Elon Musk at some point. Look, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, you know, this season we're still going to keep going, so keep listening for our coverage of the State of Origin and Inter nationals as well and whatever else goes on uh towards the end of the season we'll do our usual wrap up with our awards uh at towards the end of this uh this year near christmas probably <laughs> near it'll be close probably to christmas looking. yeah maybe we'll yeah. give out some christmas special santa awards as well um <laughs> But look, uh, and I'd like to say, even though we're not really finished yet, that uh, you know, so far we we we're getting a bit of an increase. You know, we talked about the TV ratings, but look, thank you very much. We're looking at our, I'm looking at my our stats at the moment, and we're getting, uh, you know, we've got a a good 25 percent or so increase on average our average audience from last year. So. I think this has been a pretty bumper year for us. We've had a lot more people listening and thank you to all of you for listening to our shenanigans and, and uh, bearing with us. Um, it's been a, a, a really epic year. We've we've done some new things as well with our different series as well, which uh, hopefully you guys are still interested in hearing. But until next time, I'll leave you to wrap things up, Tish. Yes, well, thank you, Dr. T. I'd like to thank everybody for listening out there. That's all that we have for this episode of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.